Hi, this is Jim Lobato. I'm the president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on BizTalk Radio Show. I started BizTalk so you can have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities and then align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a Salesforce development company. I hope you enjoy this podcast. On our program is Brian Hood. He is the co-founder and principal of Legacy Financial Group. He has worked extensively in the field of financial planning and investment management since 1988. We're pleased to have Brian on our program because we're going to talk about something that's near and dear to the heart of many people that own a business, and that is succession planning. So if you're fortunate enough to run a successful business to get in position to do succession planning, how would you do that successfully? So, Brian, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jim. Brian, one of the things we talked about before you came on the program, because I know you do a lot of work with business owners, and that is what causes businesses to fail. And you've come up with five main reasons that businesses fail, especially as they get in this position of doing some type of succession of their business. So can we talk a little bit on our program what those five reasons are and maybe shed some insight how to avoid them? Sure, you bet, Jim. Over the years uh, of working with uh, small business owners and entrepreneurs, and I do make a distinction between an entrepreneur and a small business owner. They are they are two different types of people. There there's a few rare breeds out there that that cross the line and are able to success, successfully do both. Um, but I have come up with this list of of five common denominators across why that transition to the next generation or into the next owner uh, doesn't seem to work. And and the number one reason is just no plans. Um, as entrepreneurs and and you know Jim, I'd like to liken yourself and my and myself as as one of these types of people. Um, we're we're pretty good at things by the seat of our pants. We don't uh, really like to document and and uh, lay out this step by step process that needs to happen. And that's where we see an awful lot of these small businesses and family businesses struggle is with that diligent do this, do this, do that uh, type of a process. It's just we, we think that it's going to work out. Uh, so that's the number one reason why I see most of these uh, 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 small businesses struggle with this transition. Is that the main difference then as you're differentiating between the entrepreneur and the small business owner? Is the small business owner more likely to do more planning? Typically, yeah, and from my definition, yes, I would agree with that. Your small business owner is a better administrator, uh, where the entrepreneur, uh, at least in my eyes of how I view the difference between as I see these people, that entrepreneur is that idea, go-getter, put everything on the line, and the true risk-taker out there, that entrepreneur or that uh, small business owner is that administrator. Well, and it's interesting that people tend to forget that all large businesses were once small businesses. Correct. I was watching the biography on Ray Kroc, who didn't really start McDonald's. He bought it from the McDonald brothers, but he started the idea of franchising that concept. And they actually had interviews with one of the McDonald brothers. And they said what drove them nuts about Ray was he had great ideas and he had so not so great ideas. But if you really follow the history of Ray Kroc and the success of the McDonald's Corporation, he had great 
managers around him. He was the idea guy, and he had great managers around him that kind of took care of what you're talking about, the day-to-day managing of that business. You bet. You bet. Um, kind of moving on through our list of the five uh, um, mistakes that I see people make, the second one is we do a great job. Your traditional small business owner is a what I call a, a buy-your-bootstraps type of uh, person. They built this business from ground one. A lot of these folks do not have um, um, uh, great financial backing or, or uh, backgrounds. Uh, they did it themselves. So as they're bringing their second generation, typically in a family business, for the first time, they can afford to send their kids off to school and they want more for them. And they get this idea that, well, boy, there's somebody that can go teach them this. So we're going to send them off and, and let the college professors work these kids over a little bit and then bring them back into the industry. And I, I see that not necessarily as a problem, but this idea that the, the business schools out there are going to tell us how to run a small business, I, I do question that. They, I think they're doing a tremendous job of cranking out the next generation of CEO types that uh, are going to ec- uh, orchestrate the next bankruptcy of a General Motors or something like that. But uh, to get in here and, and, and fight and deal with and, and uh, you know, if we've got a a 40-person, 50-person firm here in Des Moines, Iowa, you know, that type of uh, a size of company, I don't know that the, these kids are truly getting educated uh, in what they need to do, and I don't know that that's available. Like there, there is some place we could send them. Uh, traditionally, mom and dad uh, have got the best skill set to educate them, but yet they farm them off to somebody else. Well, especially as we see in institutions. We had Bob Sealert on our program, who is the CEO of Saatchi & Saatchi, who is a Harvard graduate. But Bob and I talked in the program that when he went to Harvard, it was to seek wisdom. Mm-hmm. And you go to Harvard today, and, and not to knock Harvard, obviously a very good school, or sure. any of our universities, but they tend to put you in, well, this is the curriculum, this is the cookie cutter, let's get you in and out in four to six years, and you're supposed to leave with some type of degree, and we forget the general purpose of our universities was to give us a well-rounded education and then take that back into the work we wanted to do and use that experience to create the type of business that you wanted to create, not necessarily tell you how to do it. So we've, I agree, we've kind of lost our vision on what universities are all about or we, what we expect them to do for the people that are educated there. Yeah, there's no doubt that people are going off to these institutions and they're getting a basic foundation in the fundamentals, the technical skills that are needed out there, the accounting work. I mean, you're, you're not going to run a business if you're afraid of uh, understanding how the books work right. uh, and your willingness to dive in and understand where the numbers are coming from. Uh, but I'm talking about developing that passion for what we do and developing those interpersonal skills of leading other people or, or leading their customers or clients in the direction that they, they really need to go. And picking up on the intuition that their parents maybe had about the instincts of where the business goes, even though there may not be data to support it. Exactly right. So, Brian, we've covered two of the mistakes that people make in this transition what are some of the other mistakes we need to watch out for? Um, number three, uh, I would put is transferring the client relationship from the patriarch of the family to that second generation. Um, let's face it, small business owners, we are um, uh, by nature control freaks. We do want to be in charge for a reason. So we do really struggle with this point of when to let go. 
Um, it's the, the business is not about me necessarily. The business is building that, uh, that relationship with the firm or with the organization. So are we doing a good job of transferring some of those key relationships so that customer is looking at uh, that business and that next generation and saying, well, I know I'm going to get the same thing, uh, or are they looking at that uh, transition and saying, well, mom or dad is going away. And again, now I keep referring to a family situation here. This can, this can apply directly to uh, a, a, another uh, a group of key people buying the senior person out. So I don't want to give us that, you know, but I, we just keep referring to mom and dad in this situation. Well, in at some level, all small businesses are families anyway. Correct. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So so is that customer going to be able to look at uh, uh, mom and dad and, and say, yeah, we know they're going away, but we know that there are systems in place and, and we're going to be taken care of and we still want to continue to do business? Or is that going to be that opening for that competitor to step in and say, hey, let's drive a little bit of a wedge here because, you know, the second generation is just not quite up to speed. So I think that's a consideration because, and, and I would bring the responsibility of that back, not to the second generation, but to the first generation to say, are they positioning themselves so they can work their way out of this position? And it's not, uh, and, and, and that needs to happen sooner rather than later, to, uh, traditionally. And in your experience, how long does it take for senior leadership who's running the company, but they know that their days are numbered, meaning that they want to check out at some point, and they're still actively involved in that business, how long should they allow that transition to take place? We know it's not three months. We know it's not six months. But how long should it be based oh, on your experience? I've seen it uh, uh, take anywhere from um, uh, a year to ten. Uh, especially in a family business where we've got the second generation that's been working there for years. And, and I see to where the um, uh, first generation never really does ever go away. Uh, they, they still keep involved in some form or fashion, uh, but their, their role be, um, keeps becoming more and more diminished as they find other things and other passions and, and things that they want to pursue uh, with their life. So it, it can be a very gradual and the most successful experiences I've seen have been a very gradual uh, transition. So if we have someone in the audience right now who's thinking about doing this, they better start moving it from the thinking stage to the planning stage. Exactly, and, and having open, candid conversations about people. Now, we've been talking a lot about families, but uh, uh, sometimes, it, you know, finding the buyer. It's one thing to say to find a buyer. It's another thing to find a buyer that can pay you. Uh, <laughs> and then it's a third thing to find a buyer that can pay the price that you want. And that, that can be a long process. And sometimes we have to build those people by just building people up within our own organization so they can step in and take over and, and reward them through those years so they get paid, so they can set money aside to start that buyout process. Uh, or we do, you know, the ideal circumstances is, you know, this is why our capitalistic system in, in, the, in the America today we, we've got things like Wall Street where we can go public, which now that's, that's, that's a big scale, and that's a scale that most small, small businesses don't ever uh, make it to, uh, nor would I no necessarily uh, uh, recommend that they do. <laughs> okay. So what else gets in, in our way here as we try to get some succession planning going in our companies and the reasons it doesn't work? Loyalty of employees, I think, would go right up there with the loyalty of the client or the customers, mm. too. So 
we've got that 20-year veteran employee that uh, has, and this is where if we try to do this too quickly with the second generation, we create a lot of animosity. So you've got that 20-year veteran employee that, that has seen mom or dad do this uh, for the last two centuries, and they've successfully transitioned into into the, the success that they're seeing. But now they see the next generation step in and want to take over, and they haven't really earned that right yet uh, in their eyes. So that loyalty of the employee base is just as important as the loyalty of the uh, customer base uh, when it comes to making this transition. So is it part of the fact that you have some really good employees working in the company who have probably over decades have not only helped build it but also improve it and it feels like well this new owner's coming in whether it again it's a family member or quite honestly a new owner and it's like whoa you know this person hasn't earned their stripes as it were right right i I think that very successful entrepreneurs and small business owners build almost a cult-like following it seems like around them with their staff and employees. And that's that's a sign of a very successful business owner, in my opinion, because they, they, they can lead a charge of people to run off a cliff for them. Um, now, will that, can you just hand that off? Can, can I develop that skill or that, that uh, relationship with an employee and say, now, Jim, here it is, it's yours? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, so we've got to work on that culture also. Because let's face it, we want to sell these businesses and we want to move on to other passions in our life beyond this business uh, as, as we age. Um, so we might find a buyer, but it's a, very important that, that that transition happens smoothly by them being successful because majority of the businesses that are sold uh, these days are not sold for cash on cash. Hmm. I, mean, I mean, you sell your business for $10 million. Unless you're selling it out to a, a Wall Street-type firm, they typically don't walk in and then, well, here's your $10 million check. Uh, what they do is say, well, here, we've scraped um, uh, and borrowed everything that we can, and, and here's um, uh, $500,000 down, and we're going to start paying you this much a month for the next uh, 20 years. And you're looking at that saying, well, that's going to work great in my plan because I'm going to need this income stream. But ask yourself the question, do you really want this business back? And I've seen that happen. Uh, I've seen people take their businesses and, and do just a fantastic job of pricing them up to where as long as everything works perfect, they'll be able to make it. Uh, and they end up with the thing back. And sometimes not back in the condition that they sold it. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, by, by no means back in the same condition. I mean, all the employees' morale has just been uh, ran through the dirt. Uh, very customer, hard to recover. Yeah, customers have left, vendors yes. have left, and you're basically back starting all over again. And you're 10 years or 5 years older. Yes, and and you've you've had some time to go figure out there's more to life than just working every day, and uh, is your is your heart still in it? Yeah, good point. What else is out there that's going to get in the way? Well, the 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 uh, the lack of change. I, I've seen people that rely a little bit too much on senior management as wisdom. Uh, this is the way we've done it for 20 years or 30 years. It's created a su- tremendous success for this family. We're not going to change. This is how we do it. Well, you and I both know that the world changes, and we need to be willing to adapt and look at things differently um, and occasionally make a change in plan. And that stubbornness because, uh, hey, I'm the third generation doing this or the second generation doing this, and I'm sure not going to be the one that wants to go down history is screwing it up. 
uh, puts an awful lot of pressure on that generation to um, make adjustments that they need uh, over the years. Okay. As you go along, what are some of the triggering events that happen where people start thinking about succession planning and they start wondering how they're going to get it done? Because I imagine there's no textbook on this per se. And this is something that you don't get in the business thinking about doing. You don't Correct. get in saying, well, in five years, 10 years, 15 years, gosh, I'm going to have a succession plan. You get excited, you jump in, you build it, and you wake up one day and say, gosh, hey, how do I get out of this thing? So, so what are those triggering events that get people thinking about it? Well, and and I think you're hitting on a good point here, Jim. The triggering events traditionally um, uh, are behind the curve. By the time you're thinking about your retirement transition or your, reti- or your transition into something else, you're probably a couple of years behind schedule in getting that next person put into place. Uh, so I, I view it from day one as part of the transition. Everything has to have an end to it. You're working for a particular reason. So what is the transition for this? And it's not like we've got to carve these goals in stone and we can never change our ideas. I mean, you know, I'm looking at my own firm. I've, I've got uh, uh, daughters that are, we're talking high school age now. Now, do, do I have any clue that there's going to be a transition plan available there? No, I don't. Would that be something I'd like? Maybe. Um, that's going to be up to them. Uh, so we need to keep all our options open, but, but I think every day we go to work, we need to be thinking about, well, what am I doing this for? Not, be, not just besides the fact that I'm making a, a good living right now. Uh, what am I doing this for for the next generation, and, and how am I going to be building that next generation? Okay. Is there anything else that, as people look at succession planning and why they're not able to make that transition that gets in their way? Um, kind of this mentality that only I can do it. Hmm. Um, um, it's taken me a few years to figure this out, but I do realize that the world will go on without me, too. Uh, and uh, there are smart people out there. There are creative people out there that can do the job and do the job well. Uh, so I see that getting in the way that uh, there's no way these clients would follow somebody else or these customers would follow somebody else, uh, that type of a mentality. Um, uh, I see getting in the way numerous times. So as you work with these companies, is there one piece of advice that you're able to give them that gets them pointed in the right direction? Yeah, I would think, uh, be thinking about it. Start the conversation, have the conversation, have this be an agenda item as you're looking at and evaluating your business. Whether you go off once a year and do your retreat uh, where it's time to think about the business versus working in the business. You know, a lot of us end up, a lot of entrepreneurs end up buying um, uh, just reasonably paying jobs. You know, where they get, they show up every day and they just, you know, they're, they're buying themselves a job and they don't ever step back and work on their business. So all entrepreneurs and small business owners need to work on their business. So this just needs to be an, an agenda item to that uh, time frame of working on our business. We went through a similar thing in our company the other day in terms of if I wasn't here a year from now, what would have to get done? Right. And that came from a friend of mine went on a mission trip. Okay. Ran his business for about 10 or 15 years and then said, you know what? I'm going to go on a mission trip for a year and I'm leaving. And everybody in the company kind of panicked. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh, now what are we going to do? He says, well, it's not a year from now until I do it. So let's get in position. So he disappeared for a year 
And I asked him, and he said when he came back, he says, how'd that go? And he says, the company ran better without me. And so he, he stuck around for another year. Then he went on a three-year mission trip. You know, Jim, I'm going to steal that. That uh, <laughs> That is right exactly what I'm talking about here and, and, and the purpose of this discussion. Well, it gets to your point of when do you start having that discussion? You know, how many people in our audience who are in those leadership roles have gone to their team, whether they mean it or not, and say, I'm not going to be here a year from now? Mm-hmm. And what would have to happen in order for me to disappear? You know, it just brings, when we went through that exercise in my company, boy, it just brings all kinds of insight into who is doing what and how we're getting things done. And if you don't have that conversation, sooner or later, like to your point, is it becomes too late to have that conversation. And, and we see numerous professionals out there where because it's going to take a team of people to help with this transition from the CPA to the lawyer to potentially somebody like myself in the financial planning field. All of us, we're guilty of wanting to share with you what we know about the mechanical side of this transition. The mechanical knowledge of what's needed is, is, is readily available out there from buy-sell agreements uh, to insurance funding and a variety. There's a variety of different techniques that there are plenty of people you can go to that have that type of expertise. But to me, what's missing is the emotional side of, am I even thinking about this? Because by the time a person starts to think about this, they're probably already behind the curve in needing to get something done. So, Brian, what advice are you giving people right now, given the fact that their 401k is probably a 201k, (laughs) uh, some of the stuff they've been saving in terms of their equity in their business, which some of that may have disappeared, depending on what industry they're in, but even some of their personal wealth may have disappeared. So what advice are you giving people in those positions today? Well, in the short term, we have a reasonably optimistic view of the market uh, and the economy. In the long term, We've got a little bit more pessimistic view out there, um, mainly because of some of the directions we're seeing happening uh, in the way the government's spending money, uh, realizing we've not seen this type of deficit spending out there in the country for quite a few years. I think we've got to go back into the early 40s. Uh, to see this type of deficit spending, uh, what we're experiencing right out, right there, uh, right now, I should say. So we're becoming more and more pessimistic. We're looking for more and more alternatives to the market, uh, thinking that we're going to have a regression to the mean or to the middle of the market, which I think we're, ex- we're in the middle of experiencing right now. And then we're looking for opportunities to get out. And, and to tie that back into what we're talking about with this transition, you put how do we? What we're talking about is turning all this sweat equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that a person have put into this their their business over these number of years, and how do we turn in that into capital that can be spent? Uh, same deal with uh, when you're looking at the market. Yeah, the markets went up, the markets went down. If we don't need the money today, well, we're okay. Uh, we do have time to let to uh, uh, let things recover as long as we we have that confidence they are going to recover. Is there one question today that I should have asked you? concerning succession planning than I haven't? Um, maximizing the value of your business uh, is is a thin line, I think, people to walk. And actually, we did allude to that a little bit earlier about um, overpricing things so the people that do buy it cannot succeed or, or making it dang near impossible for them to succeed or underpricing it. We all want to th- and, and have a reality check with yourself about what your business is really worth. Because if it's just about you going uh, there each day and making it happen, quite honestly, if I'm a buyer, that's not worth a lot of money to me. 
because I'm not buying you. I'm buying the machine. Right. And, and start thinking about what that machine's worth, not what you're worth. Okay. Our guest has been Brian Hood. He is the co-founder and principal of Legacy Financial Group. Brian, if people wanted to learn more about this topic or they wanted to talk to you about this or other things concerning their business and financial planning and investment, how would they get a hold of you? Well, I'd uh, suggest they could uh, just give us a call. Uh, I'll give you our Watts number. It's 800-919-0515. Or you can check us out on our website, which is www.lfgplanners.com. Brian, thanks for being on our program. Thank you, Jim. This or other BizTalk podcast may be downloaded by visiting our website at www.biztalkradioshow.com. Or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact the Performance Group at 800-550-9509. Or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net.